coming up today, we've got a three-piece boy band from Boston and a catch-up of the week and our review of the film I Used To Be Normal. That's this week on I'm, I'm With, with the, the Boy Band. Listeners are advised, this podcast contains coarse language, themes of an adult nature, and inappropriate thoughts about boy bands. And inappropriate thoughts by boy bands, motherfucker. So, Zoe, what have you been up to this week? I um, had a little bit of hangout time with my new kids friends who I've not seen since October. Oh, nice. When we uh, were on the new kids on the block cruise. So we did our, we did our version of Christmas. So uh, it's oh, the yes. first time we've had a chance to get together. Uh, we went for fish and chips. Uh, How we, English. Yes, right. Thank you. <laughs> I, I thought very appropriate. Really nice chips. Not the greatest steak and kidney pie I've ever had. Um, but I highly recommended in pool. Um, I can't oh. remember the name of it. Uh, so yeah, I had I spent some time with my um, fangirling crew. Um, it was really uh, I always find it rewarding to spend time with people that you have so much in common with, yeah. and you can just sit and be yourself. Uh, a bonus, we got to FaceTime with one of our boy band members. Did you? Yes. Which one? Um, can't comment. No. How was um, he? <laughs> we had a little bit of. FaceTime with uh, Danny from New Kids on the Block. Amazing. Who I've also not really spoken to much since the cruise. Um, so we had a little catch up with him and his family. Um, what else have I done? Oh, I got um, the Lu- oh, bloody Amazon. Um, oh. I, I ordered the Lou Pearlman book before <gasps> Christmas um, and it just arrived this week. So um, I have. Before Christmas? Yeah. And it just arrived this yeah, week? Yeah, I think it was one of these, rather than being actual Amazon, because it's out of print, it was one of these. Yeah. Um, and I will give them, yeah, I'll allow them to have Christmas off. They're not really concerned with how fast <laughs> I need things for my boy band podcast. That's so rude. Um, so yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm about to go into Lou Pearlman. And I've, I've been doing some articles. I found a really, really interesting article on, um, I think it was Hollywood Reporter, I will... Check that. Though. I will share that with you because okay. it was really good. It, I, it, was, um, it was mainly talking about that his time being a blimp millionaire and yes, then how it. All, I've read it. And I've then the it. fallout. Um, so that I, <laughs> yeah. And I'm also quite interested in the fact that the um, guy from NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. Uh, yeah, NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys are going to be doing a Lou Pearlman film. So I, I'd like to dig into yeah, that a little I bit. I am obsessed see. with Lou Pearlman. Oh, I'm like obs- he doesn't seem your type. <laughs> What a criminal! <laughs> I know a, a dead criminal. Dead criminal. Oh, honestly, that would be better than some of the guys I've dated. Anyway, I am. Um, I just find his whole story so fascinating. Oh, and I keep finding these little nuggets as well. So it's, I found this line about him being related to Art Garfunkel. <gasps> oh, yes, and that's how he got into. So he was renting these planes out as tour planes and yeah. he was on one of these planes with Art Garfunkel <laughs> and asked how new kids on the block could manage to rent a plane and yes. he said to them dude they're worth millions you should get into that now which is a great line mm. but when you 
see the collapse of Lou Pullman yeah. and realise that his airline was all made up. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like, well, that must be a made-up story. Because yeah. he didn't own planes. The yes. whole point of it is he didn't own any, any planes. planes. Yeah. So how is that, I was on a plane with my cousin Art and that's how I got into boy bands. Mm. Like, that can't be true. So is even his relationship, like, is he oh. even related to Art Garfunkel or is that another line? I'd like... I really want to delve into that. And I yeah. know Lou Pullman's not a boy band, but I think he plays such an intricate oh, no, part in some yeah. of the... I think the... he definitely warrants his own episode. We've spoken about doing managers and impresarios. Is that Excellent the word? pronunciation. <laughs> impresarios, yes. yes. Um, mogul. Um, yeah, <laughs> Let's mogul, go with, right. <laughs> Let's go with mogul. Moguls. We can both cope with the word <laughs> mogul. Say that. I definitely think that we should look at those because they're really, really interesting and they're such megalomaniacs as well. Yeah. And it feeds into my boy band Six Degrees of Separation that somewhere along the line every boy band can be linked with it. And it's probably not even six steps. It's your, yeah. you know, oh, three, four two. steps <laughs> yeah. away. One boy band is all linked to another eventually. Yes, definitely. Um, oh, well, that's that's a good way to spend your week. Um, and you tweeted about a book that I want to steal and take home with me. What yes. book have you well, been reading? I, a friend of mine, Chris Russell, who is an incredible musician and an, a really talented writer and a general all-round good guy um he I've known him for a a number of years now and he's written a trilogy of books about a fictional boy band who I wish were real he used to work for a One Direction fan site oh yeah he used to ghostwrite for a One Direction website um and he became completely obsessed with One Direction at that point um so We've had this conversation, Chris and I, about who his favourite boy band is. Sadly, it's not Take That, it is One Direction. Um, and so he wrote these, these, he had this idea for this story where a 16-year-old girl um, photographer who's from a, the same town as one of the boy band members in the biggest boy band in the country slash world, and actually it's based in Reading... <laughs> And she meets this boy band member and he remembers her from school or whatever and invites her to come and take pictures. Of Are you giving away the entire band? story? No, no, no. That's, okay. That's like, in like the do very I need first, to take the book home now? That's in the very first me? chapter of the first book. So there are three books. So this week, Chris said, I bought the first two books, read them, loved them. And this week, Chris, bless him, sent me a copy of the final book in the trilogy, which is based in New York as well, which is my favourite place on earth. Our favourite place on earth. <laughs> and uh, I read it in one evening. I loved it. It was so good. So, Chris, thank you so much. The books are called... There's Songs About a Girl, Songs About Us, and Songs About a Boy. Um, you can take them with you today if you want to read Abs- them. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> right, it will give me a little break in between reading about how corrupt Lou Pullman was. I think what Chris really enjoyed as well was me constantly texting him going, oh my God, these two characters are like Gary and Robbie. (laughs) (laughs) He's probably like, shut up, Amy. But yeah, so that was good. And I also this week linked to Lou Pullman, finished making the band season two. So I've seen that a complete O-Town story to a certain point, obviously. Okay. And uh, last night I watched... Westlife's new video. Oh, so I saw the buzz happening on Twitter about this. Like, uh, 
I've not listened to the song, I've not seen the video, but they tweeted a picture of a balloon, is that right? Yes. Of them inside a hot air balloon. Am I No, you're hundred percent right. Okay. I hadn't I hadn't seen any of that actually. I just went on YouTube because that's where I watch all the boy band videos that I watch <laughs> and it popped up. Westlife posted a day ago and I was like, Oh, this must be you. <laughs> is this because YouTube have now like this girl is obsessed with boy bands? Yes. I'm just gonna give it a pop up. <laughs> yes. Mine's getting quite the same. My yeah. Algorithms is basically here, have another boy band video, have another boy band video. So I watched it and um, when Shane Filan starts singing, I was like Filan or Feelin? It's Filan. Is it? Yeah. Shut up, that's so un Irish. Okay. Filan. Yeah. When he oh, starts Shane <laughs> He starts singing. And I was like, oh, it just sounded like he was rushing. He's like rushing through the words, but it's really catchy. It's really poppy. Okay, and why they releasing new material? Because is it is it a farewell tour that they're doing? Is that the? I know they're building up to a tour of some I sort. Because again, my Ticketmaster algorithms <laughs> <laughs> and um, C tickets just keep throwing me up boy bands because I've got a follow on things like. Um, let me know when five are playing a day. Let me know about nine one one. So I, yeah. they just keep throwing me up boy bands. I think that it's a reunion tour. Oh, they <laughs> they broke up. Okay. Yeah, they did. They did. They did break up. They did break up. Did they break up? I'm I, sure they did. They I, must have done. Yeah. They haven't been together for ages. I think Kean went off and did a reality show. Did he do one of the? Did he do I'm a Celebrity or something like that? I don't, I'm not big I think on he did one shows. of those. I'll have to Google it later and find out. But I think he went off and did that, and the rest of them all went off their separate ways. Shane has been touring solo over the past few He's, years. Has he not been doing Boys Life with. So one of Boys Own and one of West Life do these shows together. Is that not him? No, that's Brian McFadden. Oh, and which. I want to say Keith. Oh, yeah. Duffy? Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, you're right. It is. Okay. Because I, I was trying to find out if they had any more dates that we could go and um, <laughs> increase our boy band knowledge. I have very little knowledge about either Boys Own or Westlife. They were right at the end of my kind of poppy bit. Yeah. Um, I do have some home video footage somewhere of Boys Own sat in the lobby of a hotel with Juice... Now, Juice were a, oh, um, a, a boy, girl. girl boy group. Right. Um, another Tom Watkins act. Was I that? feel that we're bringing up Tom Watkins every week. <laughs> so, but Juice, the um, so there were was a blonde girl, dark haired girl, blonde boy, dark haired boy. The dark haired girl is Lisa, Lisa Armstrong, yes. who went on to marry Anne McPartlin. Yes. Um, and so I have in the process of divorcing him. I have footage of them in um, a hotel hotel in wow. South Shield somewhere on the Smash It's Poll Winners Party <laughs> I mean, wouldn't, why wouldn't tour. You have that so it's when Smash It's used to do a little regional tour and they build up to the main party. Got it. Um, and it was it was Boyzone's first year and Juice's first year. They were being debuted as acts on wow. that tour. So, Well, I actually have seen um, Boyzone in concert, which I actually had forgotten about and has just come screaming back to me <laughs> because I had a really Do you think you blanked it out? Well, I had a really traumatic trauma. experience <laughs> going home that night, which we won't talk about on here, but um, I think that did kind of wipe out my memory of it or somehow attached it to a really... I don't know, maybe it's PTSD has blanked it out, but I never saw... Westlife and I got I was massively into Westlife after oh, really? yeah I know I kept that quiet after take that had broken up I um I think I was looking for somebody to fill that void oh uh, yeah 
And, no, I get um, that. I completely get that. Boyzone, we're never going to do that because I just didn't really rate them, which is awful because I, I, I do quite like Ronan. And I've met Ronan. And I... Um, but I just never really liked their style, their musical style. Whereas Westlife came out with Swear It Again and I was like, well, now this is pop I can get on board <laughs> okay. with. And um, they were cute and they were Irish and... I was like, they'll do, they'll do. <laughs> Hell so, fill my hole. <laughs> and like, and that was that was actually post Britpop. So I'd been through the whole Oasis and Pulp and Blur and Ash and Shed Seven and all and of you those. Still felt empty. And so. I still felt empty because they weren't boy bands. Yeah, no, I I, I just love boy bands. Yeah. <laughs> just I'm a but boy do you band think, fan. Do you think that you went through that phase because? Of people around you not understanding the boy band thing or looking down at the boy band thing, so you try to fill it with a different kind of music because it still needs to be music, and you eventually came to the realization that actually that's not my thing. I was doing that to make other people no. happy, and no, because I love music and I love live music, and I loved nineties Britpop and still do. Yeah. So I have got such a broad taste in music, and in fact, I will leave a playlist on, and somebody will come up to me and go, "Amy, your taste in music bizarre." One minute I was listening to Taylor Swift, and the next minute Guns and Roses came on, and I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, "That sounds like me." Yeah, sounds like my but iPod. Bo- boy bands are always going to be like my my one true love yeah i just there's just something about boy bands that have a I think particular kind of magic i think the truth for both of us mm. we wouldn't be here doing, doing this, this podcast. yeah <laughs> <laughs> no well that's it so um yeah but we both still need to do our boy band timeline and we can do that and then share well, it yeah and you're gonna keep throwing up surprises surprise, like i was a yeah. big westlife fan I know, but i never saw them so they are going on tour this year and i didn't try and get tickets because i just thought take that touring this year and i've just got more important things to focus on um there's a lot of boy band opportunities coming up and a lot of the new boy band stuff so new kids have um re-recorded hanging tough with their grown-up voices Amazing. i'm so excited about it because you Joe was so young, so you yeah he you can was. listen to your new kids' albums now still, but mm. you you've got their teenage early twenties voices, and then when you go and see them at a live show, they don't it's, sound it the same. doesn't sound the same, but yeah. it, it's still good to that all that's being re-recorded and it's getting released. I want to say around March with a couple of new tracks. Um, mm. So yeah, the, I, I I love the, I, I love the recent new kids music I love oh, I it. think their recent music is so much better really good. I have a few nuggets of their old stuff which I will or it takes me yeah. back to a place and time yes. where I, you know it takes me out of myself now like my favourite new kids track ever is games just love it yeah um, no reasoning behind why but just that's is. my go to yeah. but their more recent stuff so the stuff off the block is my favourite new kids stuff ever yeah do you know it's funny because I really love all take that stuff since the reformation more than the 90s stuff and again like you the 90s stuff takes me back to a place yes sure it does but I just love where they are since they got back together and it's been a number of years now but and like new kids take that have just remixed and not they've re-recorded some of their songs but they've packaged up this new greatest hits I mentioned it in a previous episode Odyssey and it is 
awesome and that the first minute of the album is incredible and the first 12 seconds just completely makes my head explode <laughs> and I just absolutely love it and I can put that on on my noise cancelling headphones and block out my noisy neighbours who I hope listen to this and know how noisy they are and um they definitely they definitely won't ever listen to it but it's okay <laughs> I mean we can <laughs> slip a postcard through their door inviting them to join in no they're not welcome. We can give them one of the... I'm going to start doing the T-shirts, I think, this week. So we're going to put together some... Um, I'm with a boy band T-shirts to send out to some listeners. Mm. Um, uh, just a little... I already have one. I've had my I'm with the boy band sweatshirt for years. I, it just amuses me um, to wear it on tour. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to start making Great. up some T-shirts and Elvis is going to get his own little hoodie. Wow. Um, I found Elvis's last hoodie yesterday. Oh, what oh no, it's it? a T-shirt, sorry, that you made for him. And it says, Barlow Boy Bands Biscuits on the back. <laughs> I <laughs> forgot that I'd he, done that. He wore it for about an hour and then looked so uncomfortable that I had to take it off. I think I need to make a few modifications so it doesn't get stuck under his armpits. Oh, are you a little too chunky for it, Elvis? No, I beg your pardon. I did not call Elvis long fat i'm not body shaming the dog uh, it's just if i need to get him a larger size let me know how rude um so yeah so the, the other takeout from seeing the girls yesterday oh, yeah. was um they've uh, they've also been part of the test audience is that the most popular uh, person in the podcast is it, not me one of their besties <laughs> and not you obviously another person that they will grow to love yes um but everyone loves elvis more no. than they love either of us mine's been the and same. he literally just barked in one episode yeah. it's like you and i slogging away hours and hours of research like we started our research for this what six months at least six months <laughs> at ago least. we started laying down the research <laughs> and, and putting it together elvis trots in the room and barks yeah. yeah, interrupts the podcast <laughs> and we think we've got to cut all of this nonsense out and everyone's like, oh my God, Elvis is amazing. Good. What does he look like? Right, he's a cabochon to clear up. Uh, he looks the like cutest. a Elvis has his own Instagram as well. Oh, he does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can go follow Elvis. He's at Elvis the cabochon. He's, <laughs> he doesn't post very often. Oh, look, he's just woken oh, up. Hello, you. Hi, Elvis. Because we kept saying your name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, yeah, so that's been this week. Um, what else do we do? We went to see I Used to Be Normal. Oh, I loved it. I loved it so much. Um, so we went to the BFI, which is the British Film Institute. On um, It's on the South Bank in London. Really lovely. Um, to see a film called I Used to Be Normal, a boy band fangirl story. Yes. So it's about four fangirls and, and, and their boy band arc, where they started, why they started... Um, and how the boy bands make them feel, but also a lot of um, exploring how the people around them react to their obsession yes. with, with boy bands. Um, and following on from the screening, we then um, had a Skype chat with uh, Jessica Lesky, who made the film, um, which is really interesting. It gave you a little... I I mainly wanted to ask... So I loved the film. I absolutely adored it. It really took me to a place and an understanding of, yes, I know exactly what these girls are going through. The girls that, whose parents don't understand why they're doing it. And also a lot of people who are being dictated to about how their life goes by their parents, which, you know, as a female... My mum was never like that, but I, could, I can relate to the these are the expectations of a woman in the world at there was one woman who was a Beatles fan from the 60s so even like back in the 60s she was told that she was going to be a secretary yeah she, she wasn't w allowed to go to university yeah was she? Um, and and the same with 
the the One Direction fan who wanted to go to university and study music, study music, yeah. and was told by a parent she was going to be a doctor, um, and just that whole oppression of women and their needs and wants. Um, I could relate to that on a feminist level. Well, what it really did, this film, and I've been waiting for this film for for months because it's an Australian-made film. All my Australian fangirl friends have seen it and I've been desperate to see it. So it was, it was, and it is an amazing film, but I think what it really did was it really validated the fangirl experience. Oh, yeah, that you're, uh, even though it's called I Used To Be Normal, that actually <laughs> being a fangirl is normal. It is. That there's nothing... There's, there's nothing strange or geeky or odd about you. It's something that millions of girls around the world go through every year. Yeah. And the society's expectations and, and society's belief in what you should be doing actually sometimes breaks it out of you. Mm. That, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. Why are these people sneering at me? Oh, what, you know, what, what do they approve of yeah. from me as a person? And you stop laughing. It's why I asked you the question earlier about whether or not you moved in, mm. into you know, more Britpop stuff because you thought the people around you would approve of you more. No, it was because Taylor broke up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's bloody Gary Barlow's fault. Um, yeah, but I loved the film. I, my takeaway from it was that the four women... So there was um, a Beatles fan, um, absolutely adored the footage of the hysteria that Beatles oh, called amazing. in Melbourne back in the 60s. Yes. There was a Take That fan mm-hmm. who was from Australia... Um, there was a One Direction, One Direction fan. fan and a Backstreet Boys fan. Yes, um, and they were all really lovely girls. Um, but they were, and it was hilariously funny. As oh well. yeah, it was great. And then they had little cartoons and animations in it. It was yeah. brilliant. But my takeaway from it was that it felt very much that all four of the stories she told, the experience of these four girls. It was a very, it was a lonely experience. It was quite for isolating. Them. Yeah, yeah, that they had done it alone, that no one understood them, which isn't how I feel Mm-mm. that the fangirl experience is. Because for me, it's you. It, I've said it before, it's finding your, your matching weirdo. Yeah. So you find someone who has the same taste as likes and you develop a friendship. And some of the strongest, most dependable friendships and relationships I have now have come out of people I've met as fangirls absolutely um so I that's that was and I don't want to get down on the film I adored it Jessica's done an amazing job and when we asked her the question about why it went that way she explained it very well but I just didn't feel that it matched fully a boy band experience for me and that but I would absolutely look at anyone who wants to go to the cinema and feel validated about their passion for their boy band, for loving something that the majority of people are like, oh, <laughs> really, like a boy band? Yeah. If you want to feel validated and that your life as a fangirl is okay because there are millions of other people out there the same as you, find a screening of I Used To Be Normal. Mm. Um, I, I know it's meant to be coming out on DVD in Australia. It, they, she said it was coming out on DVD in Australia in a few months' time, and it's also been... It's doing the film festival circuits at the moment, so I know it's been to... The Toronto Film Festival. Yeah, it went to TIFF last year. And it's been to the London Film Festival. I don't think there's any current... Oh, she said it was going to... Did she say It's going to German Film Festival, and I think there's also one in maybe Holland, Mm. the Netherlands. Um... But let's but hope yeah, that it's going to be. Yeah, for that, I'm just going to pull up. Um, give me chat to yourself. I'm going to pull up her Twitter and her Instagram because she, um, Jessica shares when um the film's being shown. If you want to go and see it on the big yeah. screen, I 
I don't think it will be any worse watching it on a small screen, but it was just great oh, well, to... Actually, one of the best parts of it, going back to what we were saying about being, um, you know, finding amazing friends in the boy band world or the fangirl world, uh, we, the, the people who were there watching it with us were just brilliant because they laughed when we laughed and we were all just giggling like idiots because the things that these girls were saying on the screen were just so accurate and it was it was very refreshing to see other people having the same experiences that we've had and feeling the same feelings mm, that yeah. we'd had and also the pictures of the boys when they were all really young especially for me seeing Tate that I mean obviously I've seen pictures of Tate that when they were young before but hearing her saying about how much she loved Gary Barlow and then really really douchey picture of Gary Barlow <laughs> coming up it was it was brilliant and actually even the Backstreet Boys the Nick Carter pics were just so funny it's well worth to watch the twitter for the film is at boyband fangirl underscore jessica's is at jessica lesky which is jessica normal spelling l-e-s-k-i she's the director she was great right. she did a really good chat afterwards. she did so. actually and where she it was a very early morning for her because it was evening for us around oh, yeah. eight half eight, half eight something like that so i think she's in melbourne Maybe. Yeah. I think she's East Coast Australia. So it would have been really, really early in the morning for her and she did very well <laughs> answering our questions. So, yeah, it was great. And actually, um, we chatted with some of the other boy band fans, uh, sorry, the fangirls that were there and who they had different boy bands to us, didn't they? Um, so McFly and Buster. Yeah. So I just met uh, two girls on the way out who um, asked us, stopped to ask me about the podcast and they were... Um, I'm, positive they were McFly and Busted because oh, I commented yeah. like you're you're a generation behind where yeah. I am on boy bands um so it would and they followed us on Twitter I think so it will mm. be interesting for us to maybe catch up with I them at some McFly point and Busted. I am one of Busted lived in the house next door to my cousins in Claygate oh Matt Willis yeah yeah <laughs> I've met Matt Willis years ago in London just in a crowd of people. It was bizarre. That's a story for when we do Busted. And Tom Fletcher from McFly tweeted me a couple of weeks ago. Oh, did he? Yeah, he did. Oh, are you dabbling in my <laughs> boy band, boy band stalking? <laughs> I've no boy band updates this week. I've not... I've not... Um... Yeah, you spoke to Danny. That's an update. No, that's... But he was a bagger. Like, I already had two... I already have within my repertoire two boy band members okay. like can I bring them out as a like I didn't get one this week so here's a joke oh, play my joker you're saying. you're saying that you haven't I haven't I haven't acquired right. a new boy band member this oh, week damn it. So I'm gonna play a joker um it's <laughs> <laughs> one here's one I made earlier I love that that's really good well a friend of mine went to see five actually she went to photograph five at their uh, gig on Friday night and we're going to see them at the end of the month so maybe you can catch one of them then oh okay yeah Mm. Jay's not there, is he? No, it's not He's, Jay, I'm afraid. Everyone always says this. He was the fit one. Right. He was. <laughs> but Scott's lovely, despite the man bun. And Richie and Sean are both there as well. So is that so. who it is? So the three members of five we get? Yeah. Okay. No, it's cool, we'll do it. It's, it's not, the it's day not... before I fly out to New York, so hmm. um, I just need to figure out when to pack. Okay. It's tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I might, might need to do a little bit of washing. Okay, good. Well, I think that kind of ties up what we've been up to this week. So we oh. will be back in a sec with... Yeah, you can tell me all about LFO. LFO. Straight into LFO. So shall I begin? Yeah. Okay. 
So lots of the info that I um, found came from an ebook written by a couple of fangirls. Okay. So I really, I really embraced that. <laughs> so it might not be a hundred percent accurate, but um, I have tried to verify most of what they said. Um, their names are Alina and Leah Furman, and they wrote this book, um, The Light Funky Ones. So in the mid eighties in South Boston. The, the mean streets of South Boston. Um, there was a, a white rapper known around town called Rich Cronin. Um, and he was dubbed the light funky one. But, well, there are... Doesn't sound very street. I'm <laughs> not going to... He was quite young at that point. I think okay. he was born in the mid-70s. So, and this says the mid-80s, but I, in my head, he's a teenage, a teenage rapper. Um... There are some rumours that he was given this nickname by Danny Wood and Mark Wahlberg. Oh. However... Oh, I know him. <laughs> other reports say that um, it was there were a lot of rappers around who gave him that nickname okay. because he was young and white and not as hardcore rap. Got it. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, so that's where the name Light Funky Ones came from, although at that point he was singular, the Light Funky One. So, at the same time, um, Brian Gillies also known as Briz. He was from Dorchester. <laughs> oh, I know a lot of boys from Dorchester. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so he was um, started singing and dancing in a youth group because he was trying to get away from the whole streets, crime, all of that sort of thing. It's, it's, a, it's a very familiar story. It's a very, yeah. <laughs> I, when I come to do one of my boy bands in the future, I think I might just steal your intro. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just keep, save your notes for me. I will, I will. So, so Briz was singing and dancing in a youth group and he wanted to put together a group after seeing the success of another boy band from the area. Oh, who could that be, Amy? Tell me, tell me, tell me. <laughs> the New Kids on the Block. Yeah. Um, so he started his search for some members to join him in 1993. So sort of from the mid-80s up till the early 90s, these two guys were sort of in the same neighbourhood. They didn't know each other. I think they had uh, some people in common. <laughs> um, and they eventually happened upon the same record producer. So Rich was looking for a career in music, but he was more of a rapper, and Briz was looking for a hip-hop group to okay. put together. So it kind of worked out like they were looking for each other. Uh, Rich was in college as a fullback, but um, but he really, really wanted his career in music. Um, so in 95, they found the same record producer and were introduced to each other. They obviously had loads and loads in common and the same musical influences and taste. So they decided they were going to put this group together and they became a duo. So they were pitching for something in between the Beastie Boys and the New Kids in terms of image oh, niche. and musical sound. It is quite niche. Yeah. It is quite niche. So, so they weren't aiming to be a boy band. They just wanted to... To have a, a, a career, a musical career of right. some kind. Okay. Exactly right. Different sources say different things about who knew who, but one or both of them were good friends with the new kids, and in particular Danny, Joe and Jordan. So um, the new kids at that point had split. Yeah. Okay, good. John, John had fallen off the horse in 1994. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so we're mid-90s now, that's it. And Danny was producing songs for Boston-based acts. So they became good friends and um, Danny apparently was really good in advising them on the business side of music. Oh yeah, he's, I mean, I, I've not really introduced this into the podcast before, but I, I'm actually, I'd say 
very good friends with Mr. Wood. Yeah, he's he's definitely the business brain. Like he, yeah, he's, he's definitely that side of of the new kit that he he's got all that. So down he was pat. obviously looking out for his mates yeah. who were a bit younger, probably like new to oh, the yeah. industry, and. And and what a person to go to for advice as well. (laughs) If if you're looking for advice from someone who's been there and done it. Oh, right. And I know a new kid. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. They couldn't think of a decent name. (laughs) (laughs) They went through a lot. Didn't like any of them. So in the end, they decided to pluralise Rich's nickname and they became the Light Funky Ones. Once they were together as a duo, they had their name. They started looking for representation, but they couldn't find a manager who wanted to work with them. So decided to do something um, a bit different to make their act a bit different. So they found a third member called Brad Fischetti. Rolls off the tongue. I thought you were going to say, <laughs> bless you. <laughs> Brad Fischetti. So he was a MC from New York who, the story goes, they met at a party. They were like, oh, this guy's pretty cool. And they did some, I don't know, off-the-cuff rap thing and everyone... A went, rap battle. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was a rap battle. I think it was like a like a, a rap, I don't know, love circle. And, <laughs> and it's like all the best parties when someone pulls out a guitar and you're like, oh... God, There's always <laughs> some twat with the guitar, isn't there? <laughs> they carried on looking for their manager and they had a connection <laughs> to Transcontinental in Orlando. So our friend... Oh, Mr. Lou Perlman. Mr. Lou Perlman, exactly. So they're another one of his. In fact... There's a couple of weird O-Town connection-y things here because when I was watching Making the Band season two, there were times where the O-Town boys were saying, we were under the impression that Lou was going to be our manager and he was always going to be here for us, but he's he's off busy with LFO all the time. And I kept going, oh, mm, there's, there's the connection. But the guys, they decided that they wanted to be their manager were two guys called Mike um, and one of those <laughs> shared a name Mike and Mike yeah. <laughs> okay and, and the guy and one of them was Mike Cronin who is Rich Cronin from LFO's younger brother oh who's their manager yes oh okay so I know there was all these weird like connection-y things so all this six degrees of separation stuff when we look into that it's going to be really interesting to see how close everyone is it's very um so the insular, connect- <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's a nice word. In, not incestuous is the wrong word for insular. Insular, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the connection they had to Lou Pearlman was a gentleman called Johnny Wright. Oh, the new kids' tour manager. Right. So, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so I know who Johnny was, Wright is. He was Lou's partner at Transcon and used to look after new kids on the block. So they went down to meet with Lou in 1996. He signed them as his act. So they um, entered the Transcon boot camp. So tell me where this is in, just in Lou's timeline. So are we, is he already got NSYNC? Because the O-Town stuff is 99, isn't it? Yeah, O-Town's later. Backstreet Boys, I think, was 93. Okay, so he's already established himself. And I think NSYNC were early early days at this point okay from memory that could be wrong um i haven't looked into in sync but i know backstreet boys work because they come up in this story shortly yeah, okay so he signed them they entered the boot camp 
and then Lou Pearlman went off to do his <laughs> just, thing. I just want to say that the, the just the thought of a Lou Pearlman boot camp. There's this guy who looks like he's never gone short of a supper, <laughs> who's running a boot camp. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm not body shaming at all because I'm a big girl. Lou Pearlman's boot camp yeah. doesn't sound like it's going to be the most arduous <laughs> L- of race. Regimes, <laughs> but if you've watched Making the Band, oh no, I get what it is. I get what it is, but it's just—it's pretty hard. Like if he was marketing that in men's fitness, <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't be the poster boy. That's for sure. <laughs> okay, carry on. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. So Lou Palmer went off in search for recording contracts, as he did for his acts in those days. They would come and sign with him as management and then he would go off and speak to all the labels, etc. and see who he could flog them to, basically. Because let's face it, it was a business for him, wasn't it? It was all about money and that was it. So, 97 rolls round and they sign a record deal with BMG Europe. Backstreet Boys are already on tour in Germany. I believe they're signed to BMG Europe as well. I think they would jive. But but jive was was the subsidiary of BMG. In the US, right, yeah. They flew LFO out, so they went out to support Backstreet Boys on their European tour. Oh, handy. Yeah, I know. (laughs) How useful. Um, And there was a note in this story as well that says that LFO thought the European fans were awesome and that they had much more support in Europe than America (laughs) to start with. I have to concur that us Europeans are are amazing. (laughs) Well, he said... um, I think they were quite nervous about the idea of performing in America and not knowing what kind of reception they would get. So the fact that the European fans really, really received them very, very well... And that's similar to the Backstreet Boys, thing, isn't it? So the Backstreet Boys really picked up... In- picked up in Europe I think ahead of, of the, the US yeah, stuff. I think, I think that at this stage... We're, we're 97, did I say? Yeah, yeah, 97 here. I think people thought the boy band Bubble had burst in the US. Yeah, And I so know. they were coming over to Europe and still getting this amazing reception. Yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, the home of Eurovision. Like, we're always going to love a, a bit, bit of cheese. pop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Oh, side note, why are Australia in Eurovision? It's a new introduction, isn't it? My question it. was always, why is Israel in Eurovision? Well, yeah, I mean, but they, <laughs> at least they're geographically slightly closer. I think it was a money thing. So it's only been, is it two, three years that Australia have been so. in it? I think it was a, a money thing. So Eurovision is, do we want to go off on a big Eurovision? No, we'll okay, sidebar, that's, day. I can do the how, how Eurovision is funded <laughs> on another day when we do a European oh one. God, it's so Anyway, fact, when we do blue, because did not did blue yes, not go into Eurovision? Yes, okay, so we will sidebar on what Eurovision is when we do blue. Great, carry on. Good, good. <laughs> right, so they went to Europe, supported Backstreet Boys, massive confidence boost over there. They then released a cover of Step by Step. Oh, I know that. <laughs> so it, I know that record. <laughs> it was produced by Danny, your mate. Oh. I think he had stepped in. Somebody else was supposed to produce it and for whatever reason didn't. But Danny produced it. And there is a video on YouTube. It is (laughs) the LFO step-by-step video. And there are a few familiar faces in that video. So you go through the first first chorus, first chorus. And then you get to what I believe is called the middle eight. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, actually, (laughs) it's the bit where they go, step one... 
we okay. can have well I don't think LFO do that but that's where it gets to in the new kids song and there's a scene where there's a table and around the table there's a bunch of guys draped in women <laughs> playing <laughs> poker and those guys are Lou Pearlman our mate oh, Donnie I, Wahlberg oh I know him <laughs> Danny Wood. Oh, I know him. <laughs> Joe McIntyre. And I believe I've read that um, Jordan Knight was there as well. But I didn't see him in the video. I don't know if that was selected. I need to watch the video. You need to refine the video for me. Not now. We're not allowed to play it on the podcast. No, well, but I... well, I'm going to play it to you later and, get, okay. and record your reaction. <laughs> okay. And we'll see. And you'll, you'll have to describe what you're seeing for the listener. That's a good oh, okay. idea. Let's right. do that. That's okay. a good idea. Great idea. <laughs> no, I'm nervous. So, <laughs> so that... Um, happened so the next track was a song called sex you up the way you like it which i don't know if it was a cover of that song i wanna sex you up color me bad right i think it's a cover of that again i've seen a video on youtube but you know that song way better than i do so they went and recorded sex you up the way you like it in sweden um, it got loads of radio play while they were hammering TV shows and tour dates. Although MTV, The Box, and VH1 didn't play it, it the just box. never made their rotation oh my schedule. God, do you remember the box? I do remember the box, and I remember it because I was massively into it in the very late nineties, very early noughties, and they used to play Backstreet Boys, they play in sync, and they play LFO. I, I loved the box. Side note, so I was introduced to Britney Spears via... I had been out clubbing. Not clubbing, clubbing. It was... Um, when you uh, say you were introduced No, to not introduced to actual <laughs> Britney Spears. So my first... The first time I ever saw Britney Spears was I'd been out to a club called The Midweeker in London, which was a little indie club. Mm. Um, and we were there with Mark from the Blue Tones and we went back to his afterwards. And it was all... We just used to drink and chat. And he called up the box at about two in the morning because <laughs> he had started talking about Britney Spears and we were like, dude, what are you on about? And yeah. he, Mark from the Blue Tones, called up the box about two in the morning to play us Britney Spears' oh, baby so one more funny. time. Oh. Shit, that, that was, it was quite, I mean, Britney was massive back then. Oh, she was huge. I went to see Britney last year at the O2. I was in row B. I went with a friend because she, I've got a friend who's completely obsessed with Britney Spears. And I was not really that fussed, but she said, oh, I've got no one to go with me. And I said, right, I'll come with you. So we spent a fortune on these tickets. Uh, I had a great view um, of Britney dancing. She didn't sing a single word, but it was interesting to, to see her. She's she's quite something. I'm, I'm looking at the lyrics and it, they don't appear to be the same as the okay, colour me bad lyrics. I, can't, I don't want to play it while you're talking, so I can... I, wouldn't, I just need to listen to the first two lines of it. But it doesn't appear to be the colour me bad lyrics. So in 98, the LFO arrived back in the US and they were signed to a small label in New York called Logic Records, who are a subsidiary of BMG Europe. Oh, OK. Yes. All right. So, um, so it's kind of like the similar the jive thing. It's all yeah. it's all one umbrella company. It it's just a like, different... It's a bit dodge, doesn't it? Like <laughs> one company's got the monopoly on everything. So uh, on... The 15th of March, 98, Lou Pearlman arranged a concert at the Hard Rock Cafe in Orlando called Orlando Bands Together to, in aid of the Tornado Relief Fund. I guess there was a massive tornado. I don't, I don't remember that. I could have Googled it. I mean, you're, I, I feel you're jumping to conclusions here, Amy. <laughs> it was probably just to fund Transcon, to be fair. <laughs> him and his jets buy him a blimp. 
So the lineup was Backstreet Boys, Vanilla Ice, CNC Music Factory, 95 South, InSync, Take Five, C Note, and the Light Funky Ones. It was LFO's debut performance in the US. Oh, so they've done a whole year of Europe and they've yet to perform in the US. Oh, okay. So because they hadn't um, had a record label or anything like that, they hadn't done anything in the US. They then went on tour in 98 as support for LL Cool J. Although (laughs) reports Uh. say that the LL Cool J fans didn't love them. (laughs) Don't they? I mean, I can... Probably wasn't their target audience. Although saying that, I saw LL Cool J play at the Mixtape Festival, which was a little festival in... um, It was on at Hershey... I think it's called Hershey Park in Pennsylvania. It's um, the Hershey, the people that make chocolates, yes. have a theme park in Pennsylvania. And you could they, the, within that, there's a stadium of, I don't know what normally happens at the stadium. Um, and New Kids did a mini festival there. It was like a two-day thing mm. um, with them and the Backstreet Boys. And on the same bill of all these pop acts right. was LL Cool J. He was bloody brilliant as well. Loved I it. heard somebody, and I have a feeling it was Michael J. Fox, say that he went on vacation there in the 90s or maybe yeah no it was the 90s and he was telling I think it was David Letterman that the whole town smelt like chocolate Mm. and his kids were obsessed with a song that they would not stop listening to and it was Mbop later that year they went on tour again with the Backstreet Boys handy very handy (laughs) they've done very well with their boy band connection so far if they've got a new kid on the block doing production for them Mm -hmm. and they're you know yeah, yeah. And Lou Palmer's just throwing them in with all his yeah. popular boy bands. It's kind of, you know, forcing them. Are you going to bark? <laughs> it looks like he's going to bark. <laughs> Elvis has woken up, everyone. Um, your favourite Elvis has woken up. <laughs> so the star of the show is here. Um, so the LFO second single was a cover of If I Can't Have You. I don't want no one. I think it's that song, yeah. <laughs> We're getting sued. Which <laughs> just from my bad singing. That seems a little harsh, Amy. I mean, I know I wasn't the most tuneful. So they that was their second single. Another cover. Oh no, because the the Colour Me Bad one was not a cover. So yeah, so this was a cover, and Rich produced it himself, and that was released in October '98. I've got chart positions for this one. Yes! It entered the top 40, peaking at number 17 in the US, and was in the top 30 on the box. It missed the top 40 in the UK, only hitting number 54. But in February 99, they arrived in London for a month. Oh, good choice. And on the 14th of February, don't know what's significant about that date, played (laughs) Alexandra Palace. So... Again, had a great night there. They specifically said they loved the London fans and they were amazed at the reception that they got from that them. That must have been a part of it, because that's not a gig venue, is it? It must have been one no. of these, like, a radio roadshow type Maybe. affair. Because it's not even a place where bands just go and play. It's got to have been a... I've never been to Ali Pali myself. I've been there for, like, a Radio 1 roadshow okay. type thing, but never... Yeah. Oh. Anyway, kept sorry. To so yeah, no, it's fine. I don't mind. I don't mind at all. I just love the fact you ask me questions I can't answer. Um, <laughs> I believe so, you kept doing that to me last week, no, Amy. That's fine, I know. 
Ross got me excited. <laughs> so, um, they, yeah, so they proved that the UK fangirls are mental, basically, by saying that they were bonkers. So that... I feel mental's <laughs> taken it a little far. Enthusiastic. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so spring, spring 99, so that was February 99, they arrived in London. So spring 99, they're back in the US, and Arista Records made them an offer they couldn't refuse. At that point, and I think maybe still now, Clive Davis was the president of Arista. Um, he's going to feature in some other boy band stories as well. Um, he has come a, another one of our moguls. He is, but I don't know how how much he like. He's not known for boy bands. He's known for being the guy that launched Whitney Houston. He's also the man. Not to slip Gary into every conversation, but he is the man who basically ruined Gary Barlow's efforts for a US solo career. Oh, we don't like Clive much, do we? <laughs> no, we don't. Are we going to like Clive Although, less than we like Lou? I... No, I don't think that's possible. But um, I have to say that if Gary had made it in the US... There'd have never been a reunion. Right. So maybe I should be thanking Clive Davis, but I was listening to Gary's book again um, yesterday and he was saying that it was just the worst moment of his life was when he played at the Clive Davis um, pre-Grammy party. Story for another day. So Arista was a bigger label than Logic, which was the label that they were on previously, and they wanted more say in the music so they had to delay the release of their first album and re-record the whole thing oh because Arista said they wanted to tone down the hip-hop and ramp up the pop. Yeah. Rich and Brad were happy to comply, but Briz wanted to stay more rap, so he decided he was gonna he was out. Can I just say, every time you say the word Briz, Elvis flinches. <laughs> oh, Briz. Briz. Oh, no, he's stopped Briz. Now. No. <laughs> Maybe it's a trigger word for him. <laughs> So Briz decided that he he didn't want to do that. He wanted to stay more focused on the rap side of things. So he decided he was going to leave the group, but he did fulfil their commitments. So he didn't leave them in the lurch because they were such good friends. And I think I believe they all parted very amicably. In the meantime, they had found Devin Lima to replace him, and he came in as the lead singer. So Devin was the lead singer, Rich was the rapper, and Brad did a bit of everything. Okay, so they've had semi-success in Europe I mean, with the original lineup, Sure. But not so much in the US. So they're Correct. switching over, so their lineup changes before they really get big That's over right. the States. yes. Okay. I believe, and of course this is subjective, that Devin Lima was much more attractive. Okay. So they, and, they, and Rich Cronin and Brad Fischetti were really, really attractive guys as well. They were like, at that point, they kind of looked more like a boy band. Yeah. And they had that whole, they're in their early 20s at this stage and teenage girls obviously would love them. I'll show you a picture of them in their prime and you'll see what I'm talking about. <laughs> so uh, Devon fit in really, really well. Um, and shortly after he arrived, they decided to permanently change their name from the light funky ones to LFO, apart from in the UK. Because we had a dance act called LFO. That's right, <laughs> 100% correct. They did some more recording, worked with Danny Wood again. and I know him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did, really? <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, and they uncovered this song, Summer Girls, which had been recorded sometime previously as a demo. Um, I believe it was written by Rich Cronin. And it just was on some cassette. Sample track, yeah. Somewhere. And um, they released it in June 99. 
and it completely took the world by it's storm. Timing. That's a lot of that's got to be timing, isn't it? You're putting out a song called Summer Girls right as everyone's breaking up for summer. It only hit number sixteen in the UK, but. It was awesome. I remember it very fondly. I absolutely loved it. Um, is, there a, is there a dance routine? No. Uh, oh, wait till you see the video. There's no <laughs> dancing. Um, there's some crotch grabbing. Oh, I, a criteria I left out of mm-hmm. um, what makes a boy band some gratuitous, you know, reminder that you have genitalia. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a boy band thing. That's a man thing. <laughs> So there was a quote in this book that these fangirls um, wrote, which said, suddenly, new kids on the block and Chinese food were irrevocably bound in the collective subconscious. And no one was happier or more surprised by this late breaking development than Rich Cronin. Which I thought was a really weird sentence. But the lyrics were, or to the chorus, when new kids on the block had a bunch of hits, Chinese food makes me sick. And I think it's fly when girls stop by for the summer. And then it said, I like girls that wear Abercrombie and Fitch. Do you remember any of this? No. no. Okay. So radio stations were hammered with requests to play the Abercrombie and Fitch song again. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently that summer, everyone was wearing Abercrombie and Fitch anyway. So it was like that really relatable thing. I mean, I don't think I've ever fit into anything from Abercrombie and Fitch. It's a bit <laughs> like Hollister. I can barely see out. I've, I've, I can only... They see properly out of one eye, so any time I've been in Abercrombie and Fitch, I can't see what they've got because no, it's too it's dark. So, dark in there. <laughs> so I've never been out to shop in there. Well, trust me, you can't shop in there unless you're a size 10 or less. Are they the shop that um, only employs people that look like models? Yes. Okay. I think they're the ones that have somebody by the door who is like a model. Yeah. I want to say. They got taken to court by a girl who only had one arm because she got turned down for a job. That could have been Hollister. No, I'm sure it's... Okay. Okay, carry on. Sorry, we're sidebarring while too we're, much. We're, while we're slandering <laughs> fashion labels. We're sidebarring way, way outside of LFO here. <laughs> yeah, they had this Summer Girls hit, Rich told Popstar, and this song is my pride and joy. Um, <laughs> he didn't remember it five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> It was a song he'd written and recorded years before and never really thought of it as a hit. So <laughs> He found it on a tape. <laughs> yeah. If he's not cleaned out his car then, though. <laughs> <laughs> What's all this old shit in here? Yeah. So, so uh, <coughs> July 24, 1999, Summer Girls soared into the top 10 of the Billboard Hot 100. So the guys had gone from number 42 to number 25 to number 16 to number 10 in four weeks and eventually hit number one on the Billboard singles oh. chart and number three in the Billboard Hot 100 where it stayed into September of that year. Um, so the group's fans came out in full force buying up the single like it was going out of fashion and in the process helped LFO become platinum recording artists oh. on this one song. Oh, but where, uh, so, so tie me back. So the bit where they were looking, there were two members and they were finding their third. How many years ago was that? So that, Was that 93? That, that was 90, I think that was like 93, 94. They got signed to Lou Pearlman in 96 and this is 99. Wow. Uh, just wow. Yeah, yeah. okay. And they, like you say, they had had some moderate success as a support act with, in Europe, 
And then they had this one song, became platinum recording artist. Meteoric. So the video was shot at Coney Island. I'm going to show you that later. I love Coney Island. <laughs> I just have this obsession with... I know. I don't know if it's because it has this kind of... Um, vintage kitschy feel about English it that seaside. really reminds me of places like going to Brighton Pier with yeah. the family just takes me back to being a little kid on family days out but I just love Coney so much I've been to Coney one time with you um, in the off season it was freezing cold <laughs> and we went to Woolburgers did I make you sit outside? yeah but then it started <laughs> to rain so we had we went, to go back inside okay. but um, yeah, which next actually, time we go, we'll go in the summer and I'll take you down to Coney in the summer. It's just okay. beautiful. I just love it so much. Just go down the boardwalk and. Yeah. I've got some lovely pictures from that day actually. There's something about an abandoned um, or an abandoned looking amusement yeah. arcade that is just really cool. So we, we got some brilliant pictures that day and you got indigestion. <laughs> Thank I you. Remember, I remember that vividly. Thank you, Wahlburgers. <laughs> Well, so can I just explain that? I don't want to dive too much into your LFO thing. I have um, allergies and intolerances, which means I can't eat like onions and garlic and shallots and things like that. And um, for some reason, the, the food at Warburgers, they really struggle to cope with my intolerances. And I always end up with really bad indigestion that takes me out of life for about eight hours. So but I will still constantly eat Warburgers. I just have to be prepared to um, go and slowly die. Mate, I was a vegan. They managed to fulfil my dietary needs. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe they lied. Yeah. Sorry, so, I just need to support my boy band there. Because oh, I know when we were talking about our vegan trip around New York and I was like, oh no, I won't take you to Wahlburgers. It, I just wanted to clarify why that was. It's not because Wahlburgers love... is bad. It's just because I'm... Um... We love Wahlburgers. We don't love indigestion. <laughs> yeah. There we go. LFO, despite this this sudden success, they stayed really, really humble. And when they turned up to TRL and there was all these screaming fans there, they were like, we keep looking around for the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> here for us. So their album was f- um, called LFO, original, <laughs> was finally released on the 24th of August 1999. It sold 2.5 million copies worldwide <laughs> and scored two top 10 hits. So Summer Girls and its follow-up was Girl on TV. Girl on TV, I cannot find the video of online. But I think I know that one. The one with Jennifer Love Hewitt in the video. Yeah, but I think I know the song. I think, yeah. It's a great song. In fact, I think now, looking back, I prefer it as a song to Summer Girls. It's got a nicer tune to it. Summer Girls is very mid-tempo, but Girl on TV is just... It's got Devin Lima singing lead vocals on it rather than it just being like a rap-type thing or like a soft rap-type thing. Um, But Rich Cronin was going out with Jennifer Love Hewitt at the time. Oh, handy. (laughs) Or was he? Or did he meet her? Anyway, they were a couple. Summer Girls was nominated for a Billboard Music Award for top-selling single of the year, and it sold over 1.5 million copies in the US alone. Okay. <laughs> wow. Um, and the album, the, the LFO, the, the debut album, featured loads of vocals from Briz, the original member. So the label loved the original versions of the record so much they left all of the vocals on from him, including lead vocals on <laughs> Can't Have You. Oh, oh good. <laughs> I, I think they were right with it. I think they just they just loved they all loved mm. each other and respected each other so much that it was just an, a non issue. The year two thousand was a busy year for them, featuring non stop tours and they performed at over two hundred and thirty concerts. What? In one year. 
See, this was another thing that Lou Pearlman used to do. He'd put them through this boot camp until they were tight. And okay wasn't good enough. They were hammered and hammered and hammered and they had to repeat everything until they were ready to perform. Um, that's fine. That's great. I think all boy bands mm. probably get to get pushed through that. But then they are just churned out and they don't have a second to yeah. breathe or think or But that kind of rest. came up with the Bross thing as well. The, yeah. The, 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 their window can be so fleeting that you really need to capitalise on it yeah. for that because you don't know that they're getting more than a year yeah. so let's push them out and and really make them. As, yeah, make as much revenue off this yeah. as we can because we don't know that next year they're not going to be superseded by another one Yeah. so yeah, I can see why I'm not, I'm not saying that it's, it's a great thing to do to some young kids no um but yeah, so 230 concerts, including they were the opening act for Britney Spears that year. Oh. And they um, co-headlined some Nickelodeon gigs as well. They found success in the UK at the same time when their single Girl on TV entered the UK chart at number six. Uh, this might be why this is the one I know. Yes. So, um, hi Elvis. So they also that year won the Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Award for Favourite Group of the Year. So... They clearly were more poppy yeah. than they had intended to be. So while and also they... interested to know kind of what other bands were around that year because Nickelodeon's quite a big yeah. thing. And I know some of these award shows, the awards are given to who's available to come to the award ceremony and receive <laughs> the award. Um, but yeah, so it, like, so who else would have been up for that? Like, so the, I was the Backstreet Boys at this time have got to have been up for the best group, and in, in Sync must have been yeah. still around to be up for the best yeah. group. So yeah. for them to win it over those, although it's the same, mm. you know, genre, for yeah. them to yeah. to be the one that won it over those, especially like we were saying, they never went out to be marketed as a boy band mm. originally, but with the label wanting to make them less hip hop, more pop, um, the, the kids loved it. In fact, they made there were toys made, dolls made of them. <laughs> Yeah, in 2001. In the summer of 2001, they released their second album, which actually turned out to be their final album, Life Is Good. And they released two singles off that, Life Is Good and Every Other Time. The Jonas Brothers covered a song from that album, which was called Six Minutes, in 2006. So we'll have to have a listen to that when we do the Jonas Brothers yeah. episode. After the that album came out and there was poor record sales... And the boy band craze was really coming to an end, yeah. or so they thought. <laughs> um, they decided to part ways in February 2002. In 2003, Rich Cronin decided he was going to form a pop group without it being labelled as a boy band. <laughs> but it, oh, Rich. It, 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 the project Rich, failed, Rich, basically, Rich. and never produced an album and ended after a few months. And then in March 2005, Rich Cronin sought treatment for constant headaches and was diagnosed with like leukemia. He underwent chemotherapy in Boston and by January 20 uh, sorry 2006 I can't say 2006 2006 his leukemia was in remission. Devin Lima released his first solo track in 2006. It was a cover of the Sly and the Family Stone song of the same name If You Want Me to Stay for the tribute album Different Strokes by Different Folks. It led to him performing in a tribute to Sly Stone on the 2006 Grammy Awards alongside Steven Tyler and Joe Perry of Aerosmith, Maroon 5, Joss Stone, John Legend and Will I Am. 
Oh, supergroup. That is a bit <laughs> of a supergroup. So, I mean, all of those are really famous people. So you can see, you know, the quality or the calibre of the people that he was performing with. In 2007, Rich Cronin was part of the TV show Mission Man Band, which aired on VH1 and also... So you're going to say something. So this is the American version of the one we had with Danny and um, the guy from 911 in it, which was well, the Upper Street came out of. So right. um, which was called I always forget. It's um, totally boy. Yes. Totally boy band. Totally boy band. Totally boy so bands. yeah, this is this is their version of of that was Got a it. success over here for MTV. So that's the Americans did their own version of that. Ah, well, this also starred Chris Kirkpatrick of InSync. Jeff Timmons of 98 Degrees and Brian Abrams <laughs> of Colour Me Bad. So the four pop star, former pop stars came together in Orlando, Florida, the epicentre of the Lou Pearlman Empire. I see the epicentre <laughs> of everything boy band. Like, Why? do you think at this stage that he's made Orlando so boy band centric that that needs to be the centre of any boy band map? It's like, what, like the Hellmouth? <laughs> <laughs> but for boy bands instead of demons. <laughs> Yes, yes. So um, they went to Orlando to re-establish their music careers and pitch their new music to major record labels over the period of three weeks in the hopes of getting a record deal, which I don't think happened. Did, I mean... Did they even... Is there even a single? Like, if, Upper Street did one. Like, they definitely put out a single. I don't think it charted great, but there was definitely an Upper Street single. Maybe let's, a cover version as well. Let's, um, let's find out. Okay. <laughs> can I just so I'm I'm on the Wikipedia yes. looking up whether or not um, Mission Man Bad had a single. Oh yeah, and this it's a very short Wikipedia Wikipedia page. <laughs> um, on January twenty third two thousand seven, the band performed at halftime of an Orlando Magic basketball game mm. when they ended up being booed from the arena after their <laughs> performance. Oh. It doesn't say what they performed though. It doesn't say maybe it was just the national anthem and they got booed. <laughs> or, no, they wouldn't boo them off the national anthem. No. It just, it just doesn't mention that there was a record okay. connected with them. Sorry. So, probably not. <laughs> <It's> the answer. <laughs> in June of 2009, LFO posted a blog entitled LFO is Back as their, on their unofficial MySpace page, <laughs> which announced they had reunited and they were going on the Malcolm Douglas tribute tour beginning in September with a bunch of other acts that I'm, I've never heard of. Rookie of the Year, Go Crash Audio and Kiernan McMullen. Nope, never no, never heard of them. And they had a new song then as well called uh, Summer of My Life. And they announced that that was also um, in association with the reunion. However, on September the 28th, 2009, they announced through their YouTube page that they permanently disbanded. <laughs> so this is like a MySpace YouTube off. Yeah. I just think one of them is controlling MySpace and one of them is controlling YouTube. <laughs> well, in, in June 2009, we're getting back together. In September, we're not. And Brad Fischetti and Devon Lima collaborated on a new hip-hop project called, I want to say, The Exiles. It's spelled X-I-L-E-S. Yeah. They released the two-song Exiles Xmas EP on December the 13th, 2009, and revealed they'd already begun recording their debut album, American Genie Volume 1. <laughs> Why would you call something Volume 1? Unless you knew you were going to get to, like, Volume 58. Weird, weird. Anyway, that that was in... They, they put that together in 2009. In December, they did that. They never had a chance to record a third studio album, 
because Rich Cronin died on the 8th of September 2010 from a stroke related to his leukaemia. Oh. Which, September 8th is my birthday. And no, I, don't, I don't take it personally. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. But I, a few years ago, I was like, I wonder what ever happened to that band, LFO. And Rich Cronin was really hot. And I wonder what mm. he looks like now. And I went and I Googled um, and found out he had died. And I was really like gutted about it because I really loved LFO back in the day. And it was such a shock. Um... Because he was 35. Oh, it's too young. Oh, it's just it's just awful. His final song, It Only Gets Better, which was recorded in 2009 after the LFO reunion, was released shortly after his death. Billboard described the song as an upbeat tune reminiscent of the boy band's past hits, Summer Girls and Girl on TV, but the lyrics discuss Cronin's health struggles and how they altered his view of the world. So it sounds like one of those songs that sounds really upbeat, but when you listen to the lyrics... Yeah, when you break it down... It's actually it... really sad. In 2017, the two remaining... Um, Brad and Devon, the two remaining members of LFO, released a new song called Perfect Ten. So, Is it um, a cover of the um, Lightning Seeds? Um, I'm going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say it's no. one of my favourite records ever. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, good. Because you know, it, it, it definitely wasn't. I'm gonna say it definitely wasn't. So, um, Brad Fischetti at that point told Entertainment Weekly that we're sincerely thankful and excited to have the opportunity to create new music and tour again. We miss the presence of our late great brother bandmate Rich Cronin. Um, we will do our best to make him proud, carry on his legacy, and to usher LFO into the future. So, that was in July 2017. In October 2017, Devin Lima was diagnosed with stage four adrenal cancer oh my God. and had one kidney removed. He had surgery again in late 2018 to remove a tumour which was the size of a football and eventually died on the 21st of November 2018 at the age of 41. Oh, again, still too young. Still too young. It's not all sad news because Brad Fischetti has since become a pro-life activist. Oh! Oh! Oh, Brad. <laughs> During a 2012 religious group protest, he was live-tweeting from outside an abortion clinic. Included in his tweets were the doctor's name and apparent quote from a nurse claiming financial motives for the services offered there. In a statement to E! News, Fischetti denied harassing any women outside the clinic, but adamantly stood by his views and said he regrets not speaking out more when LFO was at the height of its fame. He's also the music director for a church. And if that wasn't enough, in 2000 he was quoted as saying of boy bands, it's a negative term, it means you have a shelf life, it means you're fabricated, it means you're not real, so I prefer not to be associated with it. Oh, thanks for your input, Brad. Thanks for your input, Brad. Uh, so, yeah... So that it was all going so well up until <laughs> until we heard from Brad there. Yeah, um, yeah. So that is the story of LFO. Who I still, other than being certain that I know that girls on TV, mm. still don't know any of the other. But I mean, the cover versions I know. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, and, it's, so, and but so intrinsically it, it into my really, boy band. Yeah, it's a really interesting story because they've got the new kids connection, the Lou Pearlman thing. Um, that they just had quite a different because they had a different sound to most boy bands, and certainly a different ending to most boy bands. Um, they allegedly sued Lou Pearlman for misrepresentation and fraud, as did all but one of his acts in the end. <laughs> and actually, it, it looks like Briz is the best off having left the group, even though it was right before their success. 
One other fun fact is that Devin Lima's real first name was Harold. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's LFO. Oh, thank you very much. No, you're very welcome. I mean, there's not going to be a, a a follow up from here because that's that, isn't it? So yeah, there's no boy band update. But that's LFO. the whole story. So- So, uh, where does that leave LFO in the boy band chart, Amy? Well, I have consulted the spreadsheet. I have got out the calculator and... I'm just going to throw it. Probably not a lot. We probably didn't need a calculator for (laughs) adding up these points, maybe. Look, numbers are not my strong point, okay? (laughs) It's not my forte. Um, 42 points for LFO, which uh, puts them into... Second place behind Bros. Uh, two out of two, not bad, not bad at all. <laughs> well done, boys. Second out of two is not is not great, but you know we we'll see what happens next. So it's an ever evolving chart. It is. That's the whole point of this chart is to find the ultimate boy band, and it's going to be a work in progress, constantly changing. But um, Bros number one, LFO number two. Okay, so our next boy band is going to be a Scottish boy band. Uh, Shangalang. They were very popular in their day, like the epitome of boy band, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Screaming they, um, fans and... Screaming fans. They also cracked the US, one of those oh. few from back in that time mm. that managed to dominate over here and also in the US. So we're going to be taking a look at um, Scotland's... I don't want to say Scotland's only boy band. They, they may what have been... the Proclaimers? Were they boy band? <laughs> I'm not sure they fall into our uh, late teens, early 20s criteria. (laughs) Or the hysteria. The proclaimers have always looked like they're at least 70. I reckon even when they were at school. When they were born. They looked like they were 70. So next week we're going to be taking a look at the Bay City Rollers. If you've got any feedback, uh, anything you want to say, you can tweet us at uh, theboybandpod. We're on Instagram at I'm with the boy band, or you can email us questions, contributions, and if you want to take part, at theboybandpod at gmail.com. And you can rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, give us a good rating. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Our theme song is Dance With You by Fire and Lights from the Songs About a Girl trilogy by Chris Russell. Visit songsaboutagirl.com. Thanks this week go to the fangirls Elena and Leah Furman for their excellent work on the ebook Light Funky Wands. And love goes out to the families of Rich Cronin and Devin Lima.